What would you do if you only had three minutes? Three minutes isn't much time at all, but what would you do if that was all the time you had? Back in 2012, a conceptual artist musician named Brian Fu told the story of nearly four decades of global refugee movement in a piece of music that lasts just three minutes. Mr. Fu collected data from the UN regarding refugee migration from 1975 to 2012. He then turned this music, this data, into a musical composition by using a set of algorithms. Each four seconds of music reflect one historical year. The higher the total number of refugees in a given year, the more instruments play. The more distance traveled by the refugees, the longer the notes are held and the lower the pitch. The more countries with more than a thousand refugees in a given year, the greater variety of instruments playing. In other words, as more refugees from more countries travel longer distances to get to more receiving countries, the deeper, more sustained, more resonant, louder, and more complex the music becomes. Now the opening seconds of Mr. Fu's composition sound like a single heartbeat. Beep, beep. Now this reflects the situation in the latter half of the 1970s when there were fewer than two million refugees in the world coming from only a few countries and usually crossing just a single border. By the time we get to the 1980s, however, we hear what sounds like multiple heartbeats, and each beat is held for a longer duration with more complexity and depth until it begins to sound like a resonant church bell. Bong, bong. By 1990, the sound has changed completely again, becoming polyphonic and sustained, sounding something like a crowd of different voices chanting. Now, this change reflects a 900% increase in the total number of refugees coming from more and more countries and crossing many more borders in search of sanctuary. By the time the song ends, with statistics from 2012, the music has become a loud and discordant drone. O'Brien Fu's three-minute composition is illustrative of the radical increase in the total number of refugees and the distance they must travel. But of course, it only tells a small portion of the story. To begin, Fu's composition ends with data from 2012, just as the Syrian refugee crisis was beginning to unfold, before ISIS began capturing cities in Syria and Iraq, and just as the gang violence in Central America 
was beginning to push tens of thousands of families and unaccompanied children to flee for their safety. And his composition only reflects the movement of refugees who survived their migration. The truth, of course, is that many refugees never make it to their destination. According to the UN Refugee Agency, in just the last six months of migration to Western Europe, over 3,000 refugees have died while attempting to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Now that figure includes an increasing number of children. Today, more than a third of refugees making this dangerous journey are children. Maybe you've seen the infamous photo of the three-year-old Syrian boy, Aylan Kurdi, who was found lying face down in a beach in Turkey, a dark-haired toddler wearing a bright red t-shirt. Aylan, his five-year-old brother, and his mother all drowned when their boat capsized on their way from Greece to Turkey, or Turkey to Greece. Ilan's father tried to hold on to all of them, but he lost them one at a time. That photo of Ilan washed up on the beach tells the story that Fu's composition cannot. But then again, his composition is only three minutes, and what can you really say in just three minutes? three minutes. Back in 1971, First Lady Patricia Nixon visited a spot on the border between Tijuana and San Diego. And at that time, the borderline consisted of a barbed wire fence, which Mrs. Nixon asked her security guards to cut so that she could visit with the Mexicans on the other side. And while shaking their hands, she said, I hope there won't be a fence here for very much longer. That spot where the meeting took place is now known as Friendship Park, and there is no longer a barbed wire fence. No. Instead, there is an 18-foot high fence reinforced with metal mesh. While the existence of that fence has resulted in the reduced number of Border Patrol apprehensions, it has also resulted in significantly more deaths, conservatively estimated at 428 each year. To put this in perspective, each year, four times the number of people die trying to find a way around the Mexican border wall than died in the entire history of the Berlin Wall. The wall doesn't just divide two countries. It divides many families. Deported parents stand on one side while their children born in the United States stand on the other. And sometimes it is a mother or a father who have already achieved U.S. citizenship who stand on one side 
while their family, still waiting for a visa, stands behind the metal mesh. But thanks to the effort of a group called Border Angels, for the past three years, just once a year, six families have the chance to walk through an open door in the wall at Friendship Park to embrace and to touch family members on the other side. There's a limit to their time together, though. Each family has only three minutes. Three minutes for a grandmother to hold her grandchild for the first and maybe the only time. Three minutes for a little sister to embrace her big brother. Three minutes to say, I love you, I miss you, I'm glad you're alive. And then the door closes again, and there is only the wall. What if you only had three minutes to hold your loved ones, to say everything you wanted to say to them? What can you say in three minutes? What would you be willing to do to have more time with those you love most in the world? Now, some will argue that talking about refugees and immigrants in the same sermon is like comparing apples and oranges. I wonder, though, if the distinction is really so clear. In a space of just four months, from October 2015 to February 2016, nearly 25,000 families and over 20,000 unaccompanied children were apprehended at the southwestern U.S. border. The vast majority of these were from Central America, so specifically from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Some of these families and children are seeking a better life, but many of them are seeking simply life. In an op-ed piece in uh, last week's New York Times, Nicholas Kristof told the story of a 16-year-old Honduran boy named Cristobal. He had been threatened with death by a drug gang in his home country. Cristobal was forced to work for the gang as a cocaine courier when he was 14, and he fled after seeing gang members murder two of his best friends. The gang is looking for him and will likely kill him if he returns. Yet, thanks to U.S. and Mexican immigration policy, chances are high that he will be returned to Honduras. In effect, he will be deported to death. Christoph doesn't hesitate to refer to children like Cristobal as many as 40,000 children like him who have been deported back to Central America in the last five years as refugees. As Warsan Shire so poignantly put it in her poem, no one leaves home unless home is the barrel of a gun. And does it really matter if the gun is held by a terrorist or a gang member? 
The result is terror, either way. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. Does it really matter if the shark is a metaphor for war or for poverty and hunger? Either will eat a person alive. In a very short piece by Neil Gaiman, the author boils down the refugee experience into just two minutes. He writes, quote, There are now 50 million refugees in the world, more than at any time since the end of the Second World War. And at some point, for each one of those people, the world shifted. Their world, solid and predictable, erupted and dissolved into chaos or danger or pain. They realized that they had to run. You only have two minutes to pack. You can only take with you what you can carry easily. You are going to have to walk a very long way. You hope that somewhere, someone is going to take you in. You only have two minutes to run. What will you take with you? Two minutes, three minutes, 50 million refugees, 40,000 Central American children, 3,000 deaths, 6,000 deaths. At some point, it all becomes overwhelming, and the numbers become numbing. What are we to do in the face of all this? Well, one place to start is to begin to know refugees and immigrants not as numbers, but as individuals. Now, if you were checking Facebook any time in the month of May, chances are good that you came across a friend's post of a video made by Amnesty International of Poland. This viral video shows the result of an experiment inspired by the work of psychologist Arthur Aaron to see if it's true that four minutes of uninterrupted eye contact can lead to deep connection and even love. The experiment took place in a warehouse in Berlin, Germany, located near Checkpoint Charlie, the site that had been best known as the crossing point between East and West Berlin during the Cold War. European volunteers were introduced to refugees who had recently arrived from Syria and Somalia, and they were asked to sit quietly, looking into each other's eyes for four minutes. The result? In less than four minutes, strangers were crying together and smiling at each other. After four minutes, those same strangers played, hugged, laughed, and talked together. It had only taken four minutes for people to see each other as human beings. And so we begin 
by seeing or hearing the refugee not as an abstract threat against which we must build a wall, but as a sojourner, a fellow traveler of this planet, this life. We begin by seeing or hearing, but we can't stop there. The infamous doomsday clock, that virtual timepiece maintained by physicists and policy experts, symbolizing their perceived likelihood of imminent global destruction, is currently set at three minutes before midnight. Now that number, of course, is meant to be symbolic. However, for many refugees and migrants, those who have only two minutes to pack, three minutes to hold their loved ones, it is very, very real. And for those of us who wish to make a difference, to help those who have lost nearly everything, action is required. And there's not a lot of time to waste. Will you write a letter or sign a petition? Will you protest? Will you pray? Will you welcome a refugee family? Will you vote? Three minutes to midnight. The clock is ticking. Tick. Another capsized boat in the Mediterranean Sea. Tick. Another young person deported to face a likely death. Tick. Another family divided. What would you do if you only had four minutes, three minutes, two? What will you do with the minutes, hours, and days that remain?